Father, we thank you for another opportunity this side of eternity to stand in this sacred place and preach your word. Your word's a lamp to our feet, light to our path, food for our spiritual soul. God, we need your touch this hour. You know our need, and I ask you to touch us. May we with spirit ears hear what the Spirit of God has to say to us today. Your word, O oh Lord, is a blessing and a wonderful strength, O oh God. And let it be a, a lodge in our hearts and our lives today that we'll leave this place with the word of the Lord fixed in our heart that we might not sin against thee. In Jesus' name, amen. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. That's a juridical term, isn't it? Evidence. Sounds like a courtroom and sounds like someone is trying to convince uh, others of a certain point. That faith is the evidence of things not seen. If we had to deal in tangibles all the time, then we would require no faith. But faith is required when we enter that area where the unseen comes into play. We used to sing a song when I was a kid, the unseen hand. I'm trusting to the unseen hand, the unseen hand of God. So many of us in this house would be in trouble today if it were not for the unseen hand of God. Many of us would have loss and injury and hurt and pain and sorrow were it not for the unseen hand of God. I was driving down Chakalaka Road uh, this last week, and uh, a lady was texting, and you know that's a two-lane road, and uh, Bernie, there's some places there in that road where there's nowhere to go. And if somebody crosses over on your side, you've just got to get braced because you're fixing to get hit. And uh, Lord, I was easing out the road. I might have been making 50 or 55 because I learned a hard lesson about that road. You'll get a ticket out that way. And uh, I wasn't speeding at all, but buddy, a young lady, was. she just busy. I could see her through the windshield before she ever got to me. And Lord, she had all four wheels over in my lane. Don said, I should have flashed my lights at her. I sat down on the horn. Honk! Amen. And when I got to where Don was, I said, I just like to got killed. He said, what happened? I said, somebody was texting and wasn't paying attention. I'm glad God helps us through times when folks don't pay attention. And I'm glad that God helps us in that unseen hand and that faith that we have to in God to keep our foot from slipping and to keep us from going through uh, peril and, and loss. God is so wonderfully aware of his children. He really is. And he protects and takes care of us. I wish that was the only time in my life I'd ever come close. But buddy, you're looking at somebody that has come close a lot of times. I've driven a lot of miles and preached in a lot of places, traveled a lot. But God has helped me. That don't mean I haven't had troubles, but it means I'm still here. Amen. And that God is still on the throne and God is still in charge. And faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Do you know where that verse is found in the Bible? 
Hebrews, got that right. What chapter? 11, that's right. We call that the hall of faith, don't we? Instead of a hall of fame, we call it a hall of faith. It starts out with that definition that I just gave you in the first verse there. Uh, evidence of things not seen. Then it begins talking about people like Abraham. And uh, the Bible said he went out not knowing where he was going. And the Bible calls him the father of all the faithful. And the Bible even tells us that he was a friend of God. A friend of God. Yet we read also that Abraham had faltering faith by telling the king of Egypt that Sarah was his sister and not his wife and tried to get by because he felt like he would be killed himself. We know that people who have great faith have moments when their faith falters. I would like to tell you, Peter is so great at, at uh, giving those impulsive answers, and it would be good if he could uh, cash that check that he writes. Lord, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I would die for you. And Jesus said, before the rooster crows, you'll deny me thrice. Yet some of the richest material you'll read is in First and Second Peter about redemption and uh, salvation. Others that we uh, could talk about here. In fact, that whole chapter just goes down through there talking about Moses and then it, it uh, talks about uh, Joseph and, and Gideon and uh, Joshua and, and it just keeps on, on going telling of, of great people but he got to a place in the narrative where he said I, can't, I don't have time to tell you all about this and I'd like to go on talking to you about people of faith but he said what more shall I say 32nd verse what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah. Now, in homiletics class, when you're in seminary, the professor will tell you, when you've run out of time, just get to the main points and close. I tell you, I'll be through in just a minute one more thing, and then it turns into two or three more things, doesn't it? Yeah. And homiletics, that, that means that that's a study in how to preach. Most of those books are written by uh, Haddon Robinson, uh, and it tells you about uh, gestures, and it tells you about tone of voice, and it tells you about eye contact, and it talks about all the elements of, of preaching that makes preaching effective. I wish I could get them down too, but I, I fail them sometimes myself. But one of the greatest suggestions he gives is what the writer of Hebrews did right here. He said, I don't have time. I'd like to tell you about Barak, and I'd like to tell you about Samson and Jephthah and Gideon, but I don't have time. I understand that. But God has helped us to have something that conveys the more important uh, things of the message that he wants you to get. You see, this passage comes, and it comes about four people. And we're going to talk about those four people this morning being people of faith. Amen. I believe you're a person of faith. When people talk about you, they'll say, well, she's a, a person of faith. And they'll say, well, I, I know him real well, and he's a very 
real person of faith. What are they saying about us that we're a person of faith? I would say the biggest thing they're saying about us is that we trust God. That we trust God. That we put things in the hand of the Lord. That when we need help, we call upon the name of the Lord. But here, Gideon is our, our first example. He's the one who defeated the Midianites. Barak defeated the Canaanites. Samson defeated the Philistines. And Jephthah defeated the Ammonites. That grouping of four personalities are mentioned only in this passage in the New Testament. And Hebrews 11 is called by, by some a revelation of faith and what it means to be faithful to God. God's hall of faith has some great heroes, great heroes, great people that the Bible said wrought righteousness, put to flight the armies of aliens. And the Bible says that they were sawn asunder. It says they were, were suffered in various ways. And the Bible said of these people, the world was not worthy. The world was not worthy to have a person of faith like that. Hey, those are good words to say about somebody, isn't it? I'd like to have somebody say something like that about me when I come down to die. And uh, you're gathered here in this room and roll my old chalky bones around here. And I'd like to say somebody, he was a person of faith. He trusted God. He had faith in God. He had character, had integrity. In other words, faith means more than just coming here on a Sunday morning and singing a song or two. Faith means every day, every day. We used to sing when I was a kid, you've got to live your religion every day. On Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, you got to live your religion every day. Wow, what that means is Sunday is the first day of the week, but every other day is just as important because we're supposed to live out our faith and walk out our faith every day, not just on worship day, not just on Lord's day, and not just at certain times, but at all places, everywhere we go, everyone we talk to, everyone that we're around. The Bible says for us to be a person of faith, to be a person of faith. Now, Gideon lived at a, at a time when things were really, really bad. In fact, the Bible tells us that when the patriarchs had passed and when Joseph had passed and when all of the patriarchs had, had gone on, there came to be a time, the Bible said, when every man did what was right in his own eyes. There was no king in Israel. There was no way of governing. And God used judges to help people resolve their problems. In other words, you would go to a, a judge and uh, that judge would help you resolve whatever problem that you had. And one of the great judges was a woman. Come on now, ladies. Y'all are going to have to beat that now. This is, this is, I taught you that lesson before. When I ring your bell, you're supposed to say, Amen! One of the great judges was a woman. It really was. There you go. You're getting better. Her name was, I'm married to one of them. Her name was Deborah. Deborah. 
We're going to learn a little bit more about her and a, a guy named Barak in just a minute. But Gideon, the Bible said, was at a threshing floor. Gideon was just a, 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 a normal person, but he saw the situation that was prevalent in Judges chapter 6. And suddenly an angel came to him on the threshing floor while he was working and said to him, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Now, wait a minute. We're talking about a sodbuster named Gideon. And we're talking about a guy who has never done anything of any prominence in his life. And uh, who in the world called him a warrior, pastor? An angel of the Lord. An angel of the Lord came down to an ordinary peasant working in the field and grinding his wheat and said to him, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Boy, isn't it great that God always sees potential in every one of us. That God looks at us in a way of what we can become, not what we are or have been. That God looks at us with potential and looks at us with anticipation and the impact that we can have and the uh, difference that we can make. Gideon appears uh, startled by all of this. He was not a man of great faith. He was really a man of weak faith, but God used him in a great way. When he let God be the Lord of his life and let God be the source of his strength, the plight of the people of God became so unbearable that many families were reduced to living in caves because they lived in fear of the plundering marauders of Midian. Now, what these marauders of Midian would do is they would wait till harvest time every year, and when it got to be harvest time, they would invade Israel. And they would come in, and they would plunder and take all the fruit of their labors, all of their grain, all of their oil from the olive oils, everything they had, they would plunder it, steal it, and load it on their camels and take it back to Midian. For seven straight years, this went on, of fighting that battle of loss and work and build it up again, and come, somebody comes and steals it, and you're back where you started from. So instead of having houses to live in, they had caves. And where they had, had plenty to eat, they suddenly had to scrounge for their food because they were afraid of the Midianites. The Midianites would come in with their armies, great numbers of them. In fact, when they invaded this time the Bible is talking about, there was 135,000 of them. Wow. And Gideon sent out a word, I need all the men of Israel to report for duty. We got a fight on our hands. Yeah. Amen. And praise God, some volunteers showed up from uh, Zephthalai and from from Issachar and all of the surrounding uh, tribes, and they showed up to fight. They weren't really good at fighting because they hadn't fought in a long time. They didn't have any spears or any swords or any kind of shields because they'd been farming and they weren't warriors. They didn't have a trained army. They didn't have anybody that knew anything about fighting. So he finally mustered an army of 35,000. 
Actually, 30,000. 30,000 against 135. Now, it doesn't take a statistician to understand that uh, odds are against you. Wow. You believe God is intimidated by odds? You're supposed to say, no. You think God is backward because of the largeness of the crowd? Do you think God is impressed in any negative way by the threat of being outnumbered? I don't think he is. God has always been great at taking something little and defeating something big. God has always been in the business of taking something insignificant and confusing the wisdom of the mighty. God has always been good at taking something basic and making it become something special. So God is not intimidated by the lack of experience or the lack in number of this crowd. He said, Gideon, you're the man that will deliver my people. Gideon couldn't believe it. He assembled these armies of 30,000, and everybody's ready for the great showdown, but Gideon has second thoughts. The day of the battle was approaching, and Gideon said, I don't know about this. I don't really know about this. And at that point, Gideon asked God to give him a sign, unmistakable proof that he really had called him to lead in this battle. And you know the story about him putting the fleece out, right? The first thing he said for God to do, said, God, I, I, I want you to make the ground dry, but I want the fleece to be wet. So the next morning when he got up, the ground was dry, the fleece was wet. Now, one time around, you should know, God answered prayer. God gave in to your wishes and proved to you that I'm, I'm with you in this. We're going to win this battle. But Gideon said, mm, I don't know. I tell you what, let's turn that around. Let's make the ground wet and let's make the fleece dry. Now, I, I see God could have just said, hey, enough. I've proved to you that I'm God. I've proved to you that you can trust me. I've proved to you that I'm with you. Why are you still fearful? Why are you still doubting? But he said, if that's what you want, I'll show you that. So the next morning, uh, the, the ground was wet and the fleece was dry. So God reversed it and did the, the reverse of it. Gideon asked him to do it in reverse. And only then did Gideon finally believe that what God had told him in the beginning. It turns out that Gideon made a fine military leader once he got past his fear. Fear is the enemy of faith. Fear is the negative that will cancel out the positive of faith. Fear will paralyze you and will cause you to never take a step of faith. Fear will cause you to sit back and be a spectator when God wants you to be a participant. You see, faith is so necessary. If you read Judges 7, you'll see that God used Gideon, but he, I think God has a sense of humor, don't you? So they had the lap water like a dog instance, you know, and God looked at that, 
30,000. And Gideon knew that he was outnumbered 135,000 to 30,000 already. And God looked at his number, 30,000, and said, Gideon, you got too many men. I love it when God just goes right the opposite of our logic and our thinking. Do you ever have God just to go right the opposite direction of what you're thinking? You ever have God to cross you up so bad you look stupid? You ever have God to go the other direction when you already had him mapped uh, out to do this? Now, Gideon stood there and God said, said we got to reduce this number. We've got to get this number down to where you can really win a victory for me. And he reduced the number till he got down to 300. 300. Wow. We was in bad shape when our number was 30,000. We're now down to 300. That means we're in worse than worst of worst shape now. But what they did not know is that when God fights for you, he summons all the power of heaven. He summons all the wisdom of the, of the universe. He, he brings all resources into his hand to work the work for him. Praise God. And this 300 men, they got divided them up into three groups and spread them out around that great vast number. And you know the you know the story, when they began to shout and cry, the Bible said the Midianites fled in total confusion. Are you telling me 300 people yelled and screamed and shouted and it scared 135,000 so badly that they took tail and run? Wow. You mean God can do those kind of unmistakably, totally awesome things. God does those kind of things. Yeah, he'll do it for you. He'll take something that you thought was impossible and turn it around and show you that he can do for you what no other power can do. When they left, they, they ran and they led to a complete rout of the Midianites and total victory for Gideon. As long as Gideon thought he couldn't do it, he was right. But once faith replaced his fear, he won a mighty victory for God. Second guy we're going to talk about is Barak. The writer of Hebrews said, uh, time would fail me to tell you about Barak. In Scripture, it seems that whenever you mention Barak's name, you always find another name with it, don't you? What's that name? Deborah. That name is Deborah. Every time you hear Barak, you'll usually hear Deborah because Barak without Deborah isn't much to preach about. Barak without Deborah is a loss, not a gain. Barak was that timid, backward person. By all accounts, the spiritual life of Israel had declined so badly in such measure, leadership for the nation was given by a woman. Deborah was a judge, and I can find no reason why she was the judge in Israel except 
that no man would do it. And that's the way it is in most churches. And I applaud you women for doing what men won't do. Thank God for good women. Praise God for good women. Amen. And men, to our utter disgust, that hasn't changed a whole lot. I can get women, buddy, in this church organized and get them working, and brother, getting men to do it is like pulling teeth. Deborah was the judge in Israel. Wow. And she was a wonderful, capable, powerful, mighty leader. And she was judged because men wouldn't step up. God raised up this prophetess after the Canaanites had oppressed Israel for 20 years. And since Barak was the five-star general of the army, she went to him and she said, listen, Everything is loathsome because of this terrible oppression that we have. And we need you to go into battle. And she even gave him a battle plan. He wouldn't even make a plan. And she wrote his plan out and gave him the plan. Boy, guys, I'm not doing us much of a favor, are we? In Judges 4, 6, and 7, she sent for Barak son of Abinoam from Kadesh in Naphtali, and said to him, The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, Go and take with you 10,000 men of Naphtali and Zebulun and lead the way to Mount Tabor. I will lure Sisera and the commander of Jabin's army with his chariots and his troops to the Kishon River and give him into your hands." God is going to give victory. He said, all I need you to do is take the army to where the battle is going to be. And Barak looked at Deborah and he said, I'm not going unless you go with me. Now that should be right the other way around, shouldn't it? Barak saying, I'm not going unless you go with me. Deborah should have been saying, I'm not going unless you go with me. But instead, it's Barak. He's so timid and so backward that somebody's got to go with him. Why is it so quiet in here? I can hear the air conditioning running, can't you? People of God are kind of silent today. Since Barak was the commander-in-chief, Barak was the man that God wanted to get on the ball and, and lead in this victory. The, on one hand, that's very simple. God gave the ba battle plan, and Deborah gave it to Barak. And God said, I'll take care of the victory. I'll take care of the fighting. I'll take care of the battle. But Barak said, well, I, I, I'd like to go, but I'm not going if you don't go. Can you believe that? That's pathetic. A general, now we're talking about a fighting man, a general, head of the army, chief of staff, 
says to Deborah, I'm not going unless you go. Brother, I don't know what he was scared of. I don't know what he was so timid about, but it just paralyzed him. Verse 9 says this, Deborah said, very well, I'll go with you. But because of the way you're going about this, the honor will not go to you. The Lord will hand Sisera over to a woman. Now, we're in America and all men are created equal. That means women and men are equal. Brother, in, in that culture, in that time, it wasn't that way. Israelis used to pray every morning, God, I thank you that I am born a Jew. And secondly, I thank you that I was not born a woman. Jewish men pray that prayer every day. So then for Deborah to say to Barak, God's going to give you this victory. God's going to do this. God's going to defeat the enemy and run the enemy off. But he said the honor for it is going to go to a woman because you would not step up. Boy, I wonder what God would do nowadays. I guess he would say to all of us, you need to step up. Well, what really happened, the one thing that really made the Midianites so strong was their chariots. They had chariots of iron. And we're talking about Barak and Deborah who only had bows and arrows. They didn't really have anything that could compete with the iron and steel chariots. But Deborah insisted, let's get on with this. God has said he would take care of us. God has said he will fight for us and said, and he will. He'll do whatever we need him to do. So the Bible then says that the brook, Kishon, that God flooded the brook. And when God flooded the brook, and the chariots tried to cross, the mud was so thick that the chariots couldn't go through the mud. So what God did is he disarmed the enemy so that they could win the battle. Hallelujah. Has God ever done that for you? I said, has God ever done that for you? If he has, give him a hand clap of praise. Has God ever done that for you? Has God ever disarmed the enemy? Take, took the weapon out of their hand? Well, when these chariots got stuck in the mud, they didn't know how to fight any other way. And the next thing you know, they're stuck in the mud too. Easy prey for the bows and the arrows. So God wrote a, wrought a great victory that day. Insomuch that he defeated the armies, but Sisera, the governor, the head of all of that, he ran and he got away. And he went to a tent, Eber, where he felt like they were sympathetic toward him. And they would shelter him and keep him from Barak and Deborah. But there was a woman. 
There was a woman in that tent. Her name was Jael. Do you know what it means? One who aspires higher. It's the same thing as they use for the mountain goat over there, the ibex, because it climbs so high. That term is used to describe people who have high ambitions, that think high, that believe high, that dream high, that have great things in their heart that they believe God for. Have you ever asked God for something that it would just be so colossal, it would so be so high above everything you could ever imagine? Have you ever asked him for something like that? Well, I want to tell you he does things like that. He answers those kind of prayers. This woman, Jael, took a tent stake, and while Sisera was laying there wallowing in his misery, she took a hammer, and she took that stake and put it on his temple, and she, pow! No more Caesarea. Are, are you telling me a woman killed him? Yep. A woman with a tent peg and a hammer killed him. So the honor of the person who killed Sisera was to a woman named Jael. Wow, that's a good story. Let's go a little bit further and talk about a next one. Time would fail me to tell you about Another one, and his name is Jephthah. Do you all know who Jephthah was? Jephthah was a, a good man. He was a man that loved the Lord. He, he fought in the battles. He was on the front lines, and he made a rash vow. He was so foolish to make a statement like he made. So foolish to make a vow that God expected him to keep. In other words, God doesn't like for you to play around with him promising things that you won't do. God doesn't like for you to make deals and covenants that you won't keep and have no intention of keeping. Well, Jephthah was fighting the battle. He said, Lord, if you'll just give me the victory in this battle, if you'll deliver your children, deliver your people, then God, the first thing that comes out my door to meet me, I'll give that to you. How many of you have a, a dog or a cat that when you first walk in your door, the first thing to come to your feet is the puppy? That's the way it is at my house. Buddy, when I pull up in my truck, my two, Debbie's two dogs, they hit the door, you know, just trying their best scratching to get out the door. Jephthah may have thought the first thing that comes out to meet me when I get home will be an animal, and I'll just give it to God. But when Jephthah, that old tired soldier, was coming home from the, the battle, home from the war, and he got inside of his house, his home, and he lifted his eyes, and the first thing that came out to meet him was his daughter. And he said, Alas, alas, daughter, thou art one that troubleth me, 
For I have opened my mouth unto God, and I cannot go back on it. Now, there's a lot of discussion among expositors and interpreters about what all that meant. Some believe that he, she would die a virgin, that she would never know family and never have children and that kind of thing, that that would be his uh, sacrifice of giving her up. Others that believe it more extreme believe that he actually took her life and sacrificed to God. However it turns out, here's the point of the whole matter. Don't be foolish and say rash things when you're taking care of spiritual business and dealing with God and talking to God about what you will do and won't do. Don't be foolish. Boy, that's good. Let me tell you about one more before I quit. Come on, Olivia. He said, time would fail me to tell you about Gideon and Barak and Jephthah, and oh yes, time would fail me to tell you about Samson. Samson. Who was Samson? Boy, he was that tote the gates of the city off on your shoulders, set the foxes' tails on fire and burn up the fields of the Philistines, take a, a jawbone of a mule and and kill a thousand Philistines with a jawbone of a mule. Boy, strong and mighty. And like most peoples, whoever is strongest, whoever is mightiest, that's the one we want to rule. And Samson was a man that was given because his mother prayed, much like Hannah for Samuel. His father's name was Manoah, and his mother prayed for God to give her a man-child, and God, she said, he'll be a Nazarite. That means as a Nazarite, he'd never cut his hair. He had great power with God, had great feats of courage and boldness and great stamina that he had for God. But he had one flaw in his character. When the Bible talks about, and Delilah is not the only woman. The Bible talks about the woman of Timnath. And the Bible talks about the woman of Gaza. So, the woman at Timnath, and it said, and he loved a woman in Timnath. In Gaza, it said, and he loved a woman in Gaza. And in Delilah's situation, he loved a woman in Felicity. You might just say he loved women. Had a great appreciation for the feminine side of the sexes. He was very immoral. And God tolerated his immorality until finally one day he laid his head in the lap of Delilah. And like most 
shady ladies. She said, do you love me? Lord, honey, you know I love you. Said, then tell me, what is the secret of your strength? He said, okay, I'll tell you. If you'll get you some green wits and uh, bind me with it, then I'll lose all of my strength. The Philistines who were coaching her and, and telling her how to go about this whole thing. They were sitting waiting for her to get the green widths around his hands and his feet that would bind him. That would be the secret of, of his power and that it would be broken by those green widths. But the Bible said when they rushed in to kill him, he broke the widths and slew several of them. Next time over at Delilah's house. Next time he laid his head in her lap. She said, you don't love me, you lied to me. Why don't you love me? He said, oh, I do love you. She said, well, then tell me what is the real secret of your strength. He said, it's ropes. It's ropes. See, not only was he a fornicator and an adulterer, but he was a liar. Amen. He was a terrible liar. Said, it's them ropes, buddy. You tie me up with those ropes and I can't do anything. I lose all my strength when those ropes get around my hands and feet. So she lullabied him to sleep and put ropes on his hands and ropes on his feet. And then the Philistines rushed in. He broke the ropes and off of his feet and off of his hands and slew the Philistines. And she said, oh, you don't love me. You just keep on lying to me. You don't love me. Yes, I do. Well, if you love me, then tell me what the source of your strength is. He said, if you'll take a braid and put it in my hair and weave my hair a certain way, said, then I'm powerless. You see, every time he's getting just a little bit closer to the truth, he went from hands to feet, now he's got to hair. He's close to the truth. Nod your head. See, if you keep dibble-dabbling around with sin, it grows and it gets bigger and it has more attraction the further you go. Each time you go back to it, then it becomes more powerful in your life. Every time you repeat the process, every time that you go back and go through it again, then you're just a little bit weaker until finally he told her, if you'll cut my hair, I'll lose all of my strength. And the Bible said that they shaved his head while he slept in the lap of Delilah. And when the Philistines came in, they took him captive. And they bound him and put him in a prison. And they were celebrating and they were having a, a festive, celebrative occasion. And someone said, go get Samson. By this time, they'd beaten him unmercifully. By this time, they'd gouged out his eyes and he was blind. Go get him. Put him 
not here in front that we may make sport of him. Now I want to tell you, God doesn't like it when the devil laughs and makes fun and sport of one that he's got an anointing upon and got a call upon their life. God doesn't look kindly upon that. And Samson is there winding, pushing a press. And they're all drinking and celebrating his defeat. And Samson, the Bible said, his hair had grown back out. Stupid Philistines. Fooled around and let his hair grow back out. Some of you think the devil's smart. Sometimes he's not so smart. Sometimes he's pretty dumb. Samson took hold of a little boy. And he said, son, I can't see. But would you point me to where the pillars that hold this building up are? And the little boy carried him to the support mechanism in that huge structure. And Samson said, God, just one more time, would you let me have my strength back? Just one more time, would you let me feel the anointing? Just one more time, would you let the Holy Spirit touch my heart just one more time? And the Bible said the Lord granted him his request. And he strained and he pushed and he pulled until he tore down those pillars and pushed them down. And the building collapsed and slew thousands of the Philistines. The Bible said so much that he slew more in his death than he did in his life. What are the lessons that we learn from Samson? That lesson is don't dabble around with wrongdoing and with sin. Shun the very appearance of sin. Rebuke the devil and he'll flee from you. Have nothing to do with rebellion and disobedience. What do we learn from Barak? Don't be so timid and backward. Be bold in the things of the Spirit of God. God doesn't need you to have anybody else to go with you. God will go with you himself. God will give you the strength and the power that you need. And that's what we learn from Barak. What do we learn from Jephthah? Don't let your mouth get in motion before you get your mind in gear. Don't make rash promises to God that there's no way you can keep. Don't say, God, you will do extraordinary things that you really are not going to do. Because when we say those things to God, He thinks we're serious. He thinks we really mean it. What do we learn from Gideon? You don't have to put out a hundred fleeces to know that God is with you. You don't have to be fearful and frightened and frustrated because the number that is against you. God will fight for you. If the battle is the Lord's, if the battle is the Lord's and the Lord will fight for you, then praise God, you need to let him do it. You need to let him do it. Stand with me, please. Well, it's been unusual this morning. Quiet as a mouse in this place. But I want to say that you heard the word of God.
and you heard the word of the Lord. And the Bible says the word of the Lord, the word of the Lord, he sent his word and healed them. There's healing in the word of God. There's deliverance in the word of God. There's encouragement in the word of God. There's instruction in the word of God. And we need to embrace it. Embrace it. Holy Father, I thank you today for the opportunity to stand in this place and be your instrument, your voice. And I ask you to touch people this morning, God, and help us not to make the mistakes of people in our message today. Help us not to to be fearful and frightened of uh, outnumbering us at times. Help us not to be timid. Help us not to be uh, people that lack character. And help us not to be so rash to say things with our mouth that we don't mean in our heart. Help us, God, to do those things that are necessary to maintain faith in God. Go with us now, O Lord, to our homes and our families and our, our workplace tomorrow and keep us safe from harm and danger and shield and guide and direct us in the power of the strong name of Jesus. Amen and amen.